0: friends, and welcome to another episode of Living in Hope. I am your host, Cassie Merritt. Okay, so today I have another great interview. (laughs) Um, I am going to be sitting down with Caden McGuire. So he is somebody I actually found online again. Um, Thank goodness for the internet, right? That is how I'm finding so many great stories, um, just even through like social media. I'm finding people who are spending time sharing their testimony with others and they're getting creative with it too. That's the great thing I think about this pandemic is everybody's getting more creative with how they do things. <laughs> but I found his story on there and I just do. I had to have him come on. But he went through a lot of pain, but it was in that pain where he found God, like literally, I don't want to give it away, literally in the middle of the road. So that's all I'm going to say. But you know what, let's just go ahead and dive in. Welcome to my podcast. I am so excited to have you on here today.
1: Absolutely. I'm super excited for it also. Thank you for giving me the opportunity.
0: Ah, oh, of course. Of course. So, a little history about us is there's not really much there, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I found you on social media and I saw your story and I'm just like, "Man, this guy has a story to tell, and I just knew I had to have you on here and um, give my listeners the opportunity to hear your awesome story.
1: Yeah, it's a, I have a little bit of a wild one, you could say.
0: <laughs> it's all right. My story from my past is a little wild, too. Let's have you introduce yourself.
1: Awesome. Okay, yeah. Like you said, my name's is Cade McGuire. I'm 23. I live in a real small town in Ohio. I didn't go to college because I decided college wasn't for me, so I started working in the construction field right out of high school, Um, and that is kind of a a quick summed-up story about who I am.
0: Awesome. What has brought you to start on social media? Because I know you have a big influence on there. You have lots of followers on Instagram and um, even on TikTok. What got you started with that?
1: I just really felt like the Lord telling me because I downloaded TikTok before and I got on there and saw a couple of videos that I really didn't want to see. So I deleted it. I'm like, I don't need to be seeing that.
0: Right. That sounds like me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I did. So I deleted it literally after having it for five minutes. But a couple months later, I was sitting there and I felt the Lord just like, tell me, uh, post a video about this. So I did. And it blew up and I ended up seeing that there's like a complete Christian side to it. I, it's kind of became a, a full-time ministry for me. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. So cool. So because of Instagram, I found your story. It's a really, really good one and I'm excited for the listeners to hear it. So I'll let you go ahead and start diving into that.
1: <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um. So Basically, I grew up in a, what you would call a Christian household. My parents made us go to church as little kids with them. Um, we, we went to a small Nazarene church. All I really went for was I called it, I was going to hang out with my church friends at a really young age. Mm. So I grew up in this Christian household. That was It was more along the lines of like a religious Christian household because we had nothing to do with Jesus. We were just um, the everyday, like... Want to have the look of a Christian family. So I grew up knowing of Jesus. I grew up knowing that he died for my sins, but I never grew up getting to actually know Jesus. Oh, wow. We definitely didn't follow Jesus as a family. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. And then we kind of fell off of the church for between like eighth grade to my sophomore year. My parents went through a little bit of hard times. Uh, I was. I was really struggling with that because growing up through high school sports, um, when your parents get divorced, it's just really hard on you because I I always thought it was like my fault for them splitting apart. Mm-hmm. I felt so much hatred at one point in time for both my mom and dad because I felt like it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Going into eighth grade, I transferred schools and this little girl pushed me in a pool over the summer and I'm like I turned around and I'm like yo, one day I'm going to marry this girl. Had no idea who she was. I go into eighth grade, brand new school. I'm the new kid. I don't know anybody there. I walk into the school and the first person, literally the first person I make eye contact with was that same girl. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, that's that little girl that just pushed me in the pool. So the next day, (laughs) the next day I ended up uh, going up to her and saying, Hey, do you want to be my girlfriend? So we started dating. (laughs) So we were I started dating her and we were together um, in eighth grade and we got like really like sexually active at a really young age. And uh, it started to like really take control of me because I started to like have a like fleshly craving for this at such a young age. I started to grow this big like giant ego as a new kid at the school. Um, I was an athlete. Um, I was starting to get attention from the high schoolers going into high school. I decided, you know what, I'm going into high school. I don't need another a, a girlfriend that's young like me. I'm gonna go after the young hot girl. So, um, because of the ego I got, I broke up with her and started to carry myself in like a really cocky way. I broke her heart completely. I started dating this upperclassman, and I, I it really helped me grow an even bigger ego because I thought I was like top of the line, like the best kid in the school because I was dating the hot upperclassman athlete. Um, And there I was just a little dweeb freshman. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I allowed that to kind of take control of me. And at about age 15, after high school football games, I started to get into the partying. I started to party. I thought it was cool. That's what all the other guys were doing. They were partying around. So I started doing it. Leaving my junior year, I I dated this same girl for two years and I broke up with her because I started to grow too much of an ego with sports and all the attention that other girls were giving me. And I'm like, hey, I don't need you to be holding me back from having fun. You're gone. It's me. I'm on my own. We'll be seeing you. And um, it was such a horrible way I did it, in it. But it was because of this ego I grew. And right. I started at age 15 and 16, partying, like literally partying like a rock star. I was partying hard. I'm getting blacked out drunk after football games. If we won a game, if we lost... Um, I'd go get blacked out drunk. I'd do the same with basketball games or baseball games. I'd go out um and hook up with as many as many I could after these games because I thought I was cool when all these people all these people knew around town like that's what I did. I got drunk after the games, played sports and chased after girls and that's kind of what I was known for during high school until my senior year I started to slow down because that same girl from eighth grade um kind of walked back into my life again um the same girl that pushed me in the pool, so uh we got back together and Senior year, we were like high school sweethearts, I guess, kind of, because we were on and off like through high school. But senior year, we locked it down. Um, I made her mine. We were like the couple that like everyone loved. Like we were always walking down the hallway, holding hands, like laughing, messing with each other. So we were the couple like everyone loved. And I was absolutely in love with this girl. But I graduated and I started working construction and the construction world is really, really nasty. And just the way the guys were talking and the way they wanted to go out to the bar after work. Um, I was like, man, I need to fit in with these guys if this is what I'm doing. I need to fit in. Like, I'm supposed to be tough. I'm supposed to party, um, get drunk. I'm supposed to cheat. I'm supposed to be doing all this stuff. And I did this to this girl for probably uh about three years on and off for a long time. Oh man. She, she yeah, she stayed there by my side for it through all of it. Wow. Uh, I was getting blacked out drunk, and I would tell her, like, yo, I just did this. Why are you still with me? Um, why are you mm. coming back to me? It doesn't make any sense. Like I used to say stuff to her purposely to hurt her just so she would walk away. That's how big of an idiot I was. Eventually she ended up walking away because like I told her like, Hey, I don't ever want to be with you ever again. And I was, I said it in the most like horrible way. So I started literally just getting blacked out drunk seven nights a week. Uh, mm. I was 20 and 21 years old. I was getting blacked out drunk. Literally every night I'd go into work Um, I'd go into work so drunk sometimes that I would come out of work and forget where I parked. So I'd have to honk my horn just to find my vehicle.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Uh, Yeah. And I did that every day. I went to work drunk. I got off. And as soon as I left, I started it back up and started drinking again. So one day, September 23rd, 2018, I went golfing. I was blacked out drunk, stayed out all night long, woke up early in the morning, 7 a.m. and started drinking again. Actually, I didn't drink them, but I started shotgunning beers all day long, hmm. about noon, and um, I was blocked out drunk by 8 a.m., went out, decided we were going to go golfing, apparently. I don't hardly remember any of it, um, and we were too drunk to golf, so I decided, hey, we got to leave, and I had three DDs come, and I was so obnoxiously drunk that my DDs left me there, and wow. I said, well, I got to get home somehow. It'll never happen to me, so I got behind my wheel of my vehicle and decided mm. to drive home. And uh, oh, man, yeah, I I had one of my best friends at the time with me in the passenger seat. We made it about three quarter mile up the road. I just just literally got done telling him, put your seatbelt on, dude, because the seatbelt thing was blank. And I'm like, bro, you got to put that seatbelt on or else it's going to make me throw up. And uh, I, oh, my gosh, I looked up, saw headlights and bang, I hit someone head on. I went left to center, hit someone head on. Mm. And I blacked out for a second and I came to and the airbags are all off. I didn't know what happened. And I'm like, oh, what the heck's going on? And I look over at my best friend and his head's like just sitting there leaning over blood, just pouring out of his face, out of his neck. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, I just killed my best friend. I, I was, I couldn't believe what just happened. I'm like, I just killed my best friend. Uh, I'm trying to get my way out of this airbag. I, I'm looking for cuts on me. I don't have a single cut on me. He's not, I can't tell if he's breathing. I can't tell what he's doing. I think he's dead. And um, I get out and I, I immediately, I start praying. I'm like, God, just please, God, allow this to be okay. Allow this to be okay. And I I immediately started praying as soon as I got in this wreck. I, I honestly didn't even know what what I was praying about because at this point in time in my life, I didn't even really know if God was real. And I ran over to this other guy that I hit um, and I'm praying on the way. I'm like, Lord, please let there not be any children in here. I just hope there's no children. And I get over there and I see um, it's just this guy in there by himself and he's all smashed up. He's bleeding all over the place. And I, I'm like, sure, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God's got this. God's going to take care of this. And I don't even know why, why I was saying this because I I never said this. I never would have said it. I get down on my hands and my knees and there's probably 200, 300 people around me like yelling at me, calling me a drunk, every name under the moon, they're calling me. Um, and I'm sitting on my knees with all these people yelling at me, just crying like I've never cried before in the worst place in my life. And I just laid there and literally just wanted to die. Everyone around who I was, I was the talk of the town for it. And um, I sat there in the most drunk, broken place I've ever been in my entire life, thinking I just ruined multiple families, thinking I just killed one of my best friends. I said, Jesus, if I hate who I am. Like, this is the first time I've ever been honest in prayer. I said, Jesus, I hate who I am. I need you to change. Like, it's time for me to live for you. I want to give my life to you. Will you be my Lord? And as soon as I said, amen, I literally felt this just this perfect, amazing love of power that I've never felt before. Literally, it felt like it felt like I, I'm getting chills thinking about it. I, it felt like two angels picked me up under each arm and lifted me up to my feet. Whenever I was sitting there laying down in the most broken place I've ever been, it felt like just this energy just lifted me up to my feet. Which I know now is the whole—that's the day the Holy Spirit entered my body. Mm, wow and i I walked over um unfortunately, I walked over after um accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I got put in handcuffs, but um <laughs> right, I got right. to accept him as my Lord and Savior in the most broken place I've ever been in my entire life, and he started immediately changing things for me so fast immediately like um I started to get a craving to read the Bible, I started to get a craving to realize who Jesus was, and um things didn't start to go exactly perfect after this um actually. Yeah eight months later after this that night of the wreck um the same girl I was telling you about um in eighth grade the one that pushed me in the pool the one that i did um she she texted me that night and she's like "Caden, are you okay i heard about what happened i want to be there for you can i come over and i'm like why would she even after everything i put you through why would you want to talk to me i'm the talk of the town everyone hates me why would you want to be here for me hmm. i mean Caden, i'm not in love with the person you became i'm in love with the person i know you are and i was like wow and I sat in my bed that night and just cried and cried and cried, and uh, so I have to ask: Is your
0: friend okay? Then that was in the car with you.
1: Yes. Yeah. He's um, okay. Okay. Everyone, everyone ended up um, being okay. Oh, good. Yeah. It was by the grace of God.
0: Uh, I just think it's so awesome how in that moment it was like I I say it kind of often that God sometimes allows us to get straight. Straight down into rock bottom, you know. That's what I kind of envision in that moment. Is you're at rock bottom. You got drunk and decided to get behind the wheel, and you weren't sure if your friend was going to make it. You were you weren't sure if that guy in the other car was going to make it. You had nothing left, but to turn to God and depend on His hope. And that's all you had left in that moment. And I just think that's so awesome to see. I mean, unfortunate the vet that you had to go through to get to that, but sometimes it takes that rock bottom moment for our eyes to open to Him, right? Yeah. Well, before you get into the rest, um, I do have a question for you. So it seems like you were like purposely pushing um, this girl away who wanted to be a part of your life who wa- who loved you and um, yeah. why do you think that was why do you think that no matter how hard she tried, sh- you just wanted to push her away.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think what it was, was she knew what love was. She knew God and I didn't know what God was because I didn't know who Jesus was. So how was I expected to know what love really was?
0: Right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So she was willing to be by your side, even after this, what did life look like? And you accepted Christ. What did your life look like then?
1: Um, We started to work things out. Everything was going really good for um about two weeks, but I still I still had this little bit of like pride, like this pride issue from previous that I haven't allowed myself to completely let go of yet. And um, she started like testing me a little bit, like wanting me to show her a little bit of effort. And I didn't want to do that because of the way I've always been. And I never had to before. And I said, if I got to show you effort, then I don't want this. And I let her, I let her walk out of my life and it destroyed me for a while. And I tried to get her back for months, about four four or five months after this and we were civil with each other. We talked. We were friends. Um I loved her to death. And I told her anytime we talked, I'm like, I don't I don't know what's gonna happen, but I I just pray that one day it's you. I want to marry you. And uh I was fishing a tournament one day in May, the biggest tournament, bass tournament I've ever fished in my life. And I get a phone call and I didn't answer it. It was from my mom. But I knew I knew something I knew what it was. And it was it was weird how I just knew and she texted me and she said, call me ASAP. And I immediately knew something happened to Stephanie. I call her back and she said, Caden, uh, Stephanie is on life support. She's about to take her last breath.
0: Oh, man. And uh,
1: mm-hmm. sorry if I, I cry a little bit, but. um.
0: Oh, no, please.
1: I sat back. Um, I hung up and I sat back uh, on my boat and I started like yelling at God. I, I angry with God. I'm like, God, why would this, why would this happen? I was supposed to marry this girl. Like I was, I was trying to tell God what I thought was supposed to happen. Like I thought I deserved this. My like, God, this is this was supposed to happen. Why are you doing this to me? I started immediately obviously praying, like, please just heal her, heal her, Lord, I heal her, I need her. Uh, I was like, I don't know what I'll ever do without her. Um, and I started praying for healing and I go to the hospital, I leave the tournament, pack up, leave in the middle of the tournament. Didn't care about finishing it um, I was doing really good, had a real good chance of winning a lot of money, and I just pack up leave the tournament, and I'm like no, i I have to be here with her um I want to be praying over, her. I want to be there for this. I pack up and leave and go to the hospital. I got to sit there and hold her hand, and she looked so so perfect, laying there like um the wreck in an a t v wreck um and it ejected her out of the a t v they slid and hit pea gravel. And she got ejected out of the ATV and she hit her head off of a tree and it caused severe brain damage. I was just sitting there and staring at her and I couldn't believe, like, she's gone. She's she's about to be gone. I'll never get to marry her. And I was so upset with God. I'm like, why, why are you doing this to me? And it was like, I started questioning everything. And uh, it uh, later that night, I was in the shower and I was just praying And like crying out. And it wasn't even more along the lines of praying. It was like yelling. I was yelling at God for him allowing this to happen. And then it dawned on me. And I just felt him talking to me and just saying, why do you think you deserve something after everything you've ever done to me? And I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. It's like, why do I think I deserve anything after the way I've lived? I mean, I'm the one that put Jesus on the cross to do what he did Mm -hmm. and take all the pain and suffering from me. And I think I deserve something. It's like, why? Why do I have the authority to question anything that happens in the world that God created? Mm. So I started seeking Jesus in this situation. And he literally took this this situation of Stephanie dying and used it for the best thing that I could have ever done in my entire life. It brought me so close to him because I finally, finally gave it all to him. I literally, I thought I gave it to him before, but because of this situation, I finally realized what it looks Mm. to trust him in the hardest times
0: gosh there's so much to unpack here but um could you break down for us a little more because i can only imagine some of that guilt you may have been carrying with you you know after um that car accident Mm -hmm. and then even now this girl who wanted to be with you but you never got your chance to marry her yeah um could you maybe break down for us that process of just even forgiving yourself? What did that look like?
1: Um, So I struggled with it for a while, uh, for well, probably a couple of weeks after this. And I didn't, I was someone back then to really hold it all into myself. So I sat there and bottled it all up. I, it was, for me, I would, thought I would never be able to forgive myself for, I was like forever. I thought if I just would have, just would have fought for just one, one minute, then we would be perfect right now. She never would have even been in that ATV. And I thought it was completely my fault. And I was like, this is my fault for her dying. She should be here right now. She should still be in my arms. I should be telling her I love her, but now she's dead. Then I realized if Jesus already forgave me for everything I've ever done, then it would be selfish of me not to forgive myself or anyone else after what he did on the cross for me. Mm, And I sat back, I sat back and I, I started telling him how sorry I was for being selfish about forgiveness to myself and holding things against myself and others that were holding me away from him. And I felt him just telling me, Holding on to things that are holding you back from me.
0: Wow. So it looks like, you know, from what I hear from your story, there was a lot of rebuilding almost finding who you are. So it looks like a lot of, you know, your drinking and everything came from wanting to fit in. Yeah. Right. Yep, absolutely. You're always wanting to fit in whatever group you were. With and wanting to always be that popular person, but what what did life look like for you then, after you accepted Christ this this time, fully <laughs> trusting in God and giving your life over to him? What did your life look like after that?
1: <laughs> uh, completely different. Um, my old self died, you know, uh, so I stopped hanging out with the same friends, started getting into Bible studies, started leading Bible studies. Um, I now lead a Bible study. Literally on Zoom with almost a thousand people across the world. Ah, uh, That is so awesome. <laughs> I get oh, to, yeah. yeah, God's, God's given me, he's made it available for me to now share my testimony all over the world, given me a platform to share his name. I get to talk about Jesus in front of thousands of people. It's just, it's crazy. It's
0: crazy. Uh, yeah, especially right now with um this pandemic, you know, everything seems to be very online. You know, we're all kind of stuck in our homes for the majority of us anyways. Yeah. And um, it's just like such a great opportunity for us to get our testimonies and everything out there online because I feel like it's going to reach more ears and eyes more now than ever. Yeah, absolutely. So... What is one thing that, you know, the the biggest lesson that you feel God has taught you through your trial, (laughs) your hard time?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. The biggest thing he's taught me. So the biggest lesson I took from this is that it doesn't matter how far gone you think you are. God's always right next door. Mm -hmm. He's not even right next door. He's always at your door. Is that Jesus says that I stand or knock anyone with ears and hears my voice will open the door and let me come in and eat with them. Jesus isn't just next door. He's at your door.
0: Oh, man. I love that. That is good. Okay. So a question I ask each of my guests, and I want to hear from you. What does hope mean to you?
1: What does hope mean to me? I love that. See, I had someone tell me one time that they feel like they lost all hope. And I looked at him and I said, well, do you say you're alarmed in the morning? Or do you set your alarm at night to wake up? And you say, well, yeah, how else would I get to work? And I said, so you're hoping to wake up the next morning. And I said, see, we never, we never actually lose hope. We just lose focus on what h- true hope actually is. I said, hope and my hope is completely different. My hope, it doesn't matter what, sh- what struggles I go through in life. Hope for me is looking forward to going to heaven and spending eternity with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Mm,
0: me too. Amen. I cannot wait to spend eternity with him. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know it's late you're in your area right now (laughs) it's so great that we were able to make this work and for everyone to be able to hear your story hey let's let's get our listeners connected with you how can they um see more of what you're doing
1: and follow you yeah okay um so my instagram um is my last name and first name mcguire caden m-c-g-u-i-r-e c-a-d-e-n Um, And my TikTok is just Caden McGuire, uh, C-A-D-E-N-M-C-G-U-I-R-E. Well,
0: thank you so much for joining me today. This has been so much fun. Absolutely. You guys, I truly do mean it when I say I want to hear your stories, your testimonies. If you feel that God is asking you to share your story about something he has done in your life, how he has made a huge impact in your life, I want to hear it. (laughs) You can get those stories over to me by visiting KamenoChapel.org and find us under the ministry tab. You'll see stories of hope right there, but I will also link that in the description um, here on the podcast anyways that is all from me I really do appreciate all of you for coming and listening to my voice luckily not just mine but another guest voice as well Um, but you guys have a great rest of your week and I will see you next Monday